Thank you, guys. Uh, let's, let's pray if we could. Father, I come before you now, and I, I thank you for your presence in our lives. God, I thank you for the truth that we were just allowed to proclaim. Father, your son has come, and he is the cornerstone of our lives, and he is the reason why we're here this morning, God. Father, I pray now that you would focus our hearts and our minds and our attention around your word this morning, God, and that we would, we would see you, see your glory, and see your power, and see your authority. We would center our lives around your truth of your word. God, we are so grateful to be able to be in your presence this morning. Guide us, free us from distraction, and focus our minds. In Christ's name, amen. Well, thanks for coming this morning. I'm Rick, one of the pastors here. And uh, if you have your Bible, you can open it to Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, That's where we'll be for the most of our time this morning. We're in the middle of a series called Pillars. um, And it's uh, foundational principles, concepts for the Christian life. And um, this is the final sermon in that series, and we're talking this morning uh, about faith, and we're going to center our minds and our thoughts around faith, and we'll, as we've done in all the weeks so far, we'll, we'll define what faith is, and then we'll begin to look at how it shakes out in practice in our lives. Um, but I think, uh, I want to show a, a clip here of a movie that is uh, fairly popular, it's a little old, we're going to see a little bit of uh, Braveheart here in just a second. Um, but the scene that we're going to see is a perfect definition of faith. I, I know if you've been around a church before, you've, you're, if you have church in your background, you have some sort of working knowledge of what faith is. Um, I don't intend or I don't think we'll destroy that notion of, of your definition of faith, but I, I hope that we'll, we'll change it a bit or strengthen it a bit. Uh, this morning, but this clip I think is gets to the heart of defining faith. Um, it's the horses are are attacking William Wallace and his crew, and uh, they are being directed. The 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 warriors from William Wallace and his crew are are being directed by Wallace to do something in particular, and it's very scary, very nervous. And if it, if they don't adapt to this plan, if they don't trust in this plan completely, they will die. And that's sort of the, the heart of, of the definition of faith that we'll get to. So go ahead and hit that clip and we'll talk more.
so that is, first of all, it's really cool. It's Braveheart. Uh, but it really is the perfect definition of what we're talking about. Especially, I love you guys closes with, with those words. My anchor holds within the veil. Christ alone, the cornerstone. We are giving our lives. And that's a phrase that gets thrown around a lot in the church. Giving our lives. But, but these guys, and that, they're giving their lives. If the plan that William Wallace has to raise those spears and, and knock those horses down, if that doesn't work, they will all die then and there immediately. A lot of them died there anyway because they're in a, in a war, but they would die immediately. And so that is the definition of faith. I completely give my life to you and your plan. Every other warrior that was on that field that day on the side of William Wallace completely gave their lives. If your plan that you have for this whole deal doesn't work, I fully acknowledge that I'm dead. I'm going to die. And you saw as the, the camera would, would go back to some of the faces, and one of them was like, if you've seen the movie, it's his, his, like his closest ally, his, his best buddy, the, the big blonde-headed dude. And, and he, there's just worry all over his face. And you see that part of the clip? That is where we wind up a lot. We're like, I, I, tr- I trust you, but these horses are, I don't know. And, and there's this, this fear that overwhelms us. But ultimately, faith is about giving your lives, a conviction of giving your lives over to something. So let's, uh, let's define faith. Um, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, stick your hand up and somebody will bring you a Bible. We've got plenty of Bibles. We'd love to, to give you a, a gift of a Bible. We have bunches of ESV. That's what I'm going to be reading from in the back. But uh, defining faith. Faith, as it shows up in Scripture, is the Greek word pistis, okay? P-I-S-T-I-S. I'm not exactly sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but we're just going to decide that I am. All right? Pistis is a conviction or truth of anything. And I love, a lot of times we think of faith as synonymous with just trust, but I love the, the use of this word conviction here. Because I feel like, are you like me, that when we hear the word trust and conviction, conviction is like, um, I got like flesh in the game, like I'm, this is really a little bit more important to me than just trusting, having conviction in something, having trust in something, conviction is, holds a little bit more weight, all right? So this Greek word, pistis, conviction of the truth of anything, it's the Greek word, and it is used 227 times in the New Testament. That's a lot. 227 times in the New Testament. Uh, there's a, a guy that I know, uh, a pastor, Don Carson, author, pastor, thinker, philosopher of our generation, Christian guy, says this uh, about faith. It is the persistent hope in the promises of God. Persistent hope in the promises of God. Sticking with it. We talked about hope, the very first pillar that we talked about. And hope is this sort of confident expectation of something that is to come. It's secure. It's a, it's a known reality. We think of hope as like we cross our fingers. Man, I really hope that our team wins. Or man, I really hope something. But biblical hope is a confident expectation. So faith is persistence in that hope, according to Carson. This is a, we've dealt with faith in the past. This is the definition we came up with prior. Faith is where trust and surrender meet. You can't have faith without trust and surrender. 
It is where I believe you, God, and I bet my life on that belief. This is where that image of, of the guys holding the spears and the Braveheart comes in. I trust you, William Wallace, and I'm betting my life on that trust. That is faith. So let's look a little bit about faith in, uh, at work, faith at work in our salvation. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with our God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a, there's a lot that's in that verse, but zeroing in on faith, faith is the vehicle. It's the thing that, that brings us to God, brings us to this peace. And we have been justified by our faith. Justified is just a, a legal term that says not just that you've been made right, but you've been made as if nothing had ever sinned. No, there had never been any sin in your life. Just as if I'd never sinned. Justified is a clever little way to remember what justified means. And it comes that way because of our faith. Uh, keep pressing on through here. We're, we're going quickly, but we're going to slow down here in a second when we get to Hebrews. Ephesians 2, 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. So it's grace that does the saving, but faith is the vehicle that gets us to the grace. Does that make sense? We all got in our cars today and drove to 660 Charbonnier, to this place, to this building. It was your vehicle, your, your, your Chevy, your Buick, your whatever, that brought you here. Faith is the vehicle that we get in that drives us to the grace of God. All right? And again, dispel this notion that faith is just a, a bigger word for trust. It is betting your life on the promises of another. It is conviction showing that you completely believe and you give yourself away. If this, if you don't come through on your promise, if you don't come through on your plan, I will die. This is faith. So it's bigger than just trust. And, and I want that picture of William Wallace screaming, hold in your mind. That is faith. This is the voice of God speaking over to you, yelling over you with painted face, holding a spear, waiting for the plan to come to fruition, screaming to you, hold, hold, hold. I got this. That is God speaking to us. That is faith. So what is faith in, at work in the Christian life? If you have your Bible, um, I said Romans 11, or Hebrews 11, this is the faith chapter, but let's back up to verses 38 and 39. Um, more sort of like bowed chest, brave heart stuff in verses 38 and 39. It says this. We're going to be here a while, so grab your, grab your Bibles, get comfortable. Verse 38, Hebrews 10. But my righteousness shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Faith, as we're understanding it here, as we're defining it here, causes us to rise up, like ready to get in the game, ready to fight, ready to be eager to get in there and fight and get after it. I love, he's going to say this word, shrink again. Verse 39, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. There is an element, an opposite of having faith is just to shrink. To just, you know what, I just don't feel like doing this anymore and I'm just, just going to sit down. 
This is so many times what happens in our lives. And this is what I want to ask. I want this kind of notion to be in our minds as we walk through this next chapter of faith in, in Hebrews 11. What is happening in your world, in your life, that if God doesn't come through, something really bad can happen to you? What, what's going on in your life? If God doesn't come through in this situation, you're in deep trouble. When if, are you willing? Have you been willing? What's going on in your life that allows you to take a further step out on the branch? Hoping, persevering, being persistent in your hope that that branch will hold. What's going on? Probably, this is, I think, American culture and, and who we are and, and where we are. There is this notion to, to put our lives in such a place, to protect our lives in such a way that we don't have to have any faith. That we're going to build our lives. Okay, I've got a good job and, and I've checked the budget and, and we're making this much more than we're having to spend and we're able to, to save money and, and like my, my children or I'm protecting them, like I'm putting them in the best of schools and I'm, I'm really protecting them and, and or like I'm, I'm not going to to go on a mission trip. If somebody starts talking to me about going away to a foreign land, I'm going to stop listening to them because that might not be quite as safe as what I hope to. And when we do that, we, we discount, we shrink from where God is calling us. Because where God shows up, where God shows up to fulfill his promises, to say, yes, place your trust, place your faith, bet your life then I'm right. Bet your life on my plan. That really begins to, to give us this opportunity to fully see and know God. And if that's not true, if you don't have faith, if you're not willing to rise up, to bow your chest, to pick up your spear when God is hollering, hold, if you're not willing to do that, this life is really kind of stupid. Go chase the money. Go chase whatever your fleshly pleasure if you're not willing to have faith if you're not consumed with knowing god this is kind of this is kind of pointless if you're not willing to rise up and not shrink back to have this sort of faith this is you you're you've really chosen the wrong path go and please your flesh because God is calling us to trust him and trust him completely. And as Americans in suburbia, we have a really, really hard time with that. I have a really, really hard time with that. God is calling us to a life of faith. And it is in that life of faith where he shows up and brings us beautiful intimacy with him. Now, on to Hebrews 11, the faith chapter. You may have heard this chapter, the hall of faith. It talks about a lot of ancient Old Testament characters. Verse 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Another definition of faith, assurance of things hoped for. And again, hope is not crossing your fingers. Hope is, is a confident expectation. So faith is fully trusting in what we have hope for. 
And it's conviction, there's that word again, of things not seen. Talk more about, as we read in Hebrews 11, about these things that are not seen. For by it, that is faith, people of old received their commendation. Does anybody want to be commended by God? Yes is the answer to that question, by the way. Feel free. If, when I ask a question, I'm, most of them are not rhetorical. So feel free to just answer. All right? Uh, yes, we want to be commended by God. Last, last night, uh, Joe and Sheridan, members of our church, got, got married in, in Quincy, Illinois. And it was on this beautiful, like, bluff overlooking the, the river. And, like, it's just gorgeous. And it's like a, a, a wine vineyard. So they're like, they're... They're married here, and, and like I was performing a wedding there in front of me, and the whole congregation is looking up, and like over our shoulders is this huge bluff, just a beautiful, beautiful picture. And, and as I was watching that, like during the, the rehearsal Friday night, and then watching things get happening and, and the decorations happen, I, I, lots of times I looked over that bluff. Then last night as the, the sun was going down, it was just a, a beautiful picture, a beautiful image of the creative imagination of our God to see that beauty. And I think about this. Do you want to be commended by God? Do you want to lay hold of the beauties of God? Yes. Well, here, faith. By faith, people of old received their commendation. So the more we give ourselves to faith, to completely trusting and surrendering in who God is, the more we fully know and and experience and, and commune with God. That's why we're here. So here we go. Keep pressing through. Verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. All right, skip down to verse 6. And without faith it is impossible to please God. By the way, that freaks me out. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So not only are we commended by our faith, but we have the opportunity and ability to, to please God through our faith. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now we're getting into some biblical characters here. Verse 7. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. I want to I pause just for a second because like the story of Noah and his ark is many times to us a children's story and we like make arks out of pipe cleaners or something like that and it's it's just a, a falseness of what's happening in the ark. And I want to connect our hearts. So if we really want to understand that Noah had faith when he built an ark, we've got to understand the wholeness of, of the situation. That God literally brought rain to the earth and flooded the entire earth. And everyone on the earth died except Noah and his family. They watched from the deck of the ark as people drowned, literally drowned, probably screaming and clawing to try and get onto the ark. This is a brutal and vicious death. Prior to that, Noah, 
who had preached for years and never seen a convert. So he had reason to disbelieve, to not have conviction in the truth of God. Instead, he rises up. He does not shrink back. He rises up and builds this massive boat when there's no water anywhere near him. Imagine what people said to him. Imagine that. You've probably thought about that before, but imagine, place yourself in that situation, the, the audible voice of God. What would, your, what would the guy that sits next to you in the cubicle at work say to you if you said, I heard the audible voice of God and he told me to build a boat because it's going to flood the earth. If God said that to you, the chances of you telling someone about that are really, really slim. It just doesn't make any sense. Apart from faith, conviction that, yes, God, I believe you, and I'm willing to bet my life on that belief. I'm willing to bet my reputation on that belief. I'm willing to bet everything on the belief that you are correct. I'm willing to bet my life and raise my spear and listen to you when you command me to hold This is God. This is faith. Verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. Imagine another audible voice of God comes to you tonight when you lay your head down and says, I want you to leave St. Louis and I want you to go into the country, a place where you have no, I want you to go to Afghanistan and live there. Imagine what would happen in your life if you said that, if if God literally told you to do that. Have you created your life in such a safe way that you wouldn't even hear that voice? Verse 9, by faith he went to live in the land of promise, in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Do you see what he left there? And I want to just sort of As we kind of go along here, the theme that's going here is how comfortable is your life and how willing are you to step out in faith and really believe God and do something crazy and stupid. Because ultimately what Abraham did, what Noah did, was was pretty stupid, just from a physical thought, all right? He leaves a land of his home and his richness and his his possessions, and goes, and he lives in a foreign land in tents. Man, that would be really hard because my wife hates to sleep on the ground. Like, if, we, if I were talking about a tent, we're going to go camping. No, you're going to go camping. I'm staying here. So that would have been really hard for me. Babe, I promise God told us to do this. Are you sure? I would have to be really convincing. Verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city that has its foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Do you see every time at the end of faith is God? In Noah's situation, at the end of faith, I'm going to believe you, God, and I'm going to do this, and then what happens? God gives Noah himself. At the end of faith for Abraham is God. But it wasn't all roses for Abraham after he left home. It was hard. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself, that's Abraham's wife, received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. This is, 
Sarah, I think, is, is a beautiful illustration of this because Abraham comes to her and says, God has promised us a child. And she says, I believe you and I believe God. Years, years pass. And she now is past the age of, of being able to bear a child. And she still has faith. When there's absolutely no way you can, God can come through, God comes through. And at the end of that faith is God. Verse 12, therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of the sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Here's what I take from that, is if, if God gave us every time immediately the object of our faith, it wouldn't be faith. I don't have to trust that that is a chair. I can see that it's a chair. It's a chair. It's there. I don't have, there's no surrender. There's no trust. There's nothing. I can visualize it. God wants to sow faith into our hearts to teach us about something that is to come, even when it's not there, even when we can't touch it and feel it. This is faith. And here's the scary thing for, for all of you. Some of you are, are like regular attenders here, and some of you are guests here this morning. This is a really dangerous message because God's going to start playing with your mind, probably right now. Here's this dude I don't really know talking to me about faith, talking to me about surrender, talking about me doing something stupid. And I believe 100% that God is sovereign and you are here today for a purpose. Maybe God is calling you to do something stupid. This is really dangerous. So if you're not willing or wanting to do something weird or crazy or what your friends or family or people around you would consider stupid, then here, stop listening to me now. And, And this is like, it may sound silly and hey, that was kind of, you know, chuckle. But this is, I'm not, that ain't a joke, for real. This is the God of the universe who spoke it into existence, who killed everyone on earth except Noah and his family by drowning, by a brutal, awful death, who allowed his son to be crucified and killed in in a brutal, awful way. This is a serious God. I'm not playing around, and neither is God. And this is a serious call for your life. God is probably calling someone here to do something really dumb. And at the end of that really dumb thing is God. So be careful. Listen carefully. I'm warning you. Verse 14. Actually, skip down to verse 17. By faith, and this is the one that freaks me out. I I, I hate reading this story. By faith... Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. I have a son named Cooper. He's not here this morning. He's 10 years old, and he's the greatest 10-year-old alive. Might even be the greatest person alive. So this story is hard for me to read. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, who had received the promises and was in the act of offering up his son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. 
back up and remember the story. God tells Abraham, leave your country and I'm going to allow you to have a son. And through that son, the nation, the world will be blessed through this son that I'm going to give you. Fast forward many years later, Abraham still doesn't have a son. And then miraculously, when his wife is past the age of conception, God provides him with Isaac. And then God says, I promised you back in, the, in your hometown that I was going to give you a son. And then I made you wait for all these years when you thought you couldn't do it. And now I've given you a son, but now I'm going to take him from you. All throughout that. Scripture doesn't talk about what Abraham did. Did he argue? Did he wonder? What, what were, what were his, his thoughts? All that says is Abraham believed him. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up his son Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So what we read here is that Abraham, this is before God had started rising people from the dead, Abraham believed that he was going to kill his son, but God was going to raise him from the dead. Skip down to verse 23. Let's read the story of Moses and his faith. By faith, complete surrender, I trust you, God, and I bet my life on that trust. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were afraid of the king's edict. That is, every child had to be, every son, firstborn son had to be killed. So Moses was hidden so that he wouldn't die. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. That is remarkable faith. Do you want to live in the king's house, anything you wanted, any tangible physical property that you want, or do you want to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin? Verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater than the wealth of the treasures of Egypt. That is faith. Do we, are we there? Do we, do we live there? Do we consider the promises of God to have Christ as a treasure more important than the pleasures of this world? The answer, I'm, I'm a stinking pastor, and my answer is most of the time, no. Verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people of God crossed in the Red Sea on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. All these evidences of of people betting their lives on a plan of God. God tells you to do something, you do it, he'll provide a way, even when it looks like he won't. Verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down, for they had circled for seven days. I want to stop and think about that one for a second. I'm talking about dumb things, like your God tells you you've got a, a huge enemy who's way more powerful than you. Okay, here's, here's the plan, guys. We're going to walk around their city. Just, we're just going to walk around their city. Seriously, guys, we're just going to walk around, and then they're all, God's going to come through. 
Okay, how's he going to come through? Where's, where's, our, where's our guns? Where's our weapons? Where's our stuff? What are we going to do? Seriously, we're, we're just going to walk around. It's just, it's just, I mean, half of you are looking at me like, that's not dumb. Serious. That's dumb. That doesn't make any sense, right? We're going to walk around in a circle. Okay. Let's walk around in a circle. And the wall fell down. And Jericho fell. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon or Barak or Samson or Jephthah or David or Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in the skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. Okay. Calling us to faith, we're looking about all the greatness of faith and what people eventually experience. But in the midst of their faith, this is what they experienced. Mocking, suffering, flogging, chains, imprisonment, being stoned, being sawn in two. Like, we look at stuff in Scripture and we think, wow, but sawn in two. Somebody's holding you down, takes out a saw, cuts you in half. That's what faith gets you. Be careful. Verse 38. This is also what faith gets you. Of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves in the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. I can't imagine being sawed in two and not receiving the promise for that. Verse 40, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Enter Jesus. Moving into to chapter 12 here. And this is, here it is, the climax. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we've seen the faith of these people and the awful lives that they had to lead and the difficulty and hardship that was there and God coming through for them time after time. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The point of all of these people talking about their faith is to see God in their lives. Then verse 2 is the heart of it. This is faith. Looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is the author, the founder, and the perfecter of our faith. 
So we see in Jesus the picture of who we are to be in our faith. And so how does, what does that look like to live a life of faith? It looks like this. I trust you, Jesus, and look to him as the founder and perfecter. He got it perfect, right in every way, to look to him as the founder and the perfecter of our faith. I want to read you a few statements as we conclude this morning about what faith is. And seeing this in Christ, overcoming, not counting the cost of what faith is going to cost us, but instead stepping out in faith. Faith is stepping out on a branch that probably will crack. Faith is a child thoughtlessly jumping into a pool into the arms of a parent. Faith is trusting in the ability and the inclination of something or someone. It's not enough just for God to have the ability to come through. God needs to have the inclination to come through as well. He's got a desire to do it. Faith is like saying yes to the question, do you believe me? No. Do you really believe me? What in your life does, can we say that about? Are you proving to the world, to yourself, to God, that you really believe him? Faith is belief that manifests itself into action. I believe you, and because I believe you, I'm going to fill in the blank. I believe you, and because I believe you, I'm going to... I believe that God is calling me to move to Africa and work with a missionary who lives in a tent and preaches the gospel to people who have never heard before. Faith sells your house and gets on an airplane. Let me read that again. I believe God is calling me to move to Africa and work with a missionary who lives in a tent and preaches the gospel to people who have never heard before. Faith sells your house and gets on an airplane. Faith is the vehicle that takes you to God and not just salvation, but in every circumstance in life. So many times, so many, we, we look at these pillars, we look at grace and mercy and love and peace and hope and, and priesthood and, and faith, and we think that these are tools used by God to bring us our salvation. And then we lay them aside and let's keep on moving. Yeah, faith was good for me to bring me salvation, but I don't need it anymore. Hope was good to bring me salvation, but I don't need it anymore. Grace was good to bring me salvation, but I don't need it anymore. Faith Absolutely, you need it all the time because God is calling you to things and when you don't rise up, when you shrink from that, you shrink from God. You shrink from the commendation that God wants to give you. One last thing, and I hope that this is a a dagger into us. The opposite of faith is self-trust. I believe that I can do what I need to secure my hope, my peace, my salvation. I am the master of my destiny. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame and is seated at the right hand of God.
The picture of faith looks just like Jesus who endured the cross and the shame of the cross for the joy that was set before him. The joy that's set before you is God, perfect, intimate, beautiful relationship with him, what you were created for. Last night, I got to preach that, that wedding, and I said to them that looking around you at the, at the beautiful picture of, of nature and the scenery that was there, and then looking at the love that you have in your life. There are people there that, that have loved each other for a really long time, and, and Joe and Sheridan come together in love, and they exist together in love now today that it didn't yesterday before they got married. And there's a beauty that's there, a a presence that's there. And God intends for us to live in beautiful, unaffected relationship with him and with people. That's what you were created for. There's a longing in your heart to be awed, to go and see beautiful places like I spoke of. There's a place in you that longs to be loved and longs to love other people. There's a place in you that longs to be loved by God and to love God. And the only place that you will feel complete and pure and whole satisfaction is in God alone. We get glimpses of that as we look around. There are people, my bride and people that I've lived life with and that I share this church with, that I love drastically. But those are shadows of the love that God has for me that one day I will experience in full. And the way to that is faith, complete and utter surrender to who he is. I bet my life that you're right, God. And I bet my life not only that you are right, but you are willing and able to show yourself to be right. Even if that doesn't happen on this earth, especially if that doesn't happen on this earth. This is faith. This is the point. And the whole point of of all of this, the faith, me talking about faith, me talking about being scared and worried that God might call you to something really weird or stupid, the point of that is not to get you to go and do something stupid that God is calling you. The point of that is to get you and go to God. The guy who sells his house and gets on a plane to Africa is not going there for any other reason but to get God. And know him and love him and be with him. We were created for that. Appreciate and love the shadows of that love that you get to see. The pictures of it, of the images, the the beauty of this earth, the beauty of relationships, the beauty of love. All of those things are big arrows pointing to God. This is a glimpse of what I have for you. Scripture says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. The vehicle that gets you there is faith. God, I trust you completely. Let's pray and worship our God. Father, I thank you for your promises. I thank you for your grace and for your mercy and for your peace, for your hope and for your love. And God, I I ask of you now to give me more faith, to give us all more faith so that we might more purely hold you, Father, that we might endure what is in this earth and what is on this earth and the pain that comes and the suffering that comes and the hardship that comes. We might endure that for the joy that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the perfect picture of that, who left 
perfect heaven who left this joy to come to this earth to lay down his life, to endure and suffering and scorn and shame and ridicule and great physical and spiritual pain so that he might see and experience joy of relationship with you, Father. And we follow that lead. God, you are beautiful, and we surrender our lives to you, God. We completely trust you. Guide us now as we respond to you. In Christ's name.